Thank you, Pastor Ray, and thank you for this opportunity of coming once again. I just want to express thanks for how uh, this church has extended to Bev and I, inviting me even to next week's uh, ordination council, which I can't make for Pastor Ray, and then a couple of months ago for uh, Roger as well. And uh, on behalf of Bev and I, we want to thank you for your partnership. A number of you have come up to us and just expressed uh, praying for us, and I think that has been the most touching thing over these last two hours since we've been here, that you know you remember us in prayer. And of course, we're grateful for your financial partnership with us as well. Um, I know today is a big day uh, for the 49ers. Uh, playing uh, back in the East Coast in Philadelphia. Sadly, uh, uh, my favorite team didn't make it, which was the Dallas Cowboys last week. (laughs) So that's okay. You guys are from San Francisco, so uh, I'm glad many of you are happy about that if you're a 49ers fan. This morning, uh, I'd like to have you turn to your Bibles to Psalm 90, and as you do so, let me go ahead and get set up. Yeah. Okay. We're going to look at Psalm 90. Uh, My wife said to me, I've heard this psalm throughout the month of January, and it just keeps on coming back, and it's very true uh, as we take a look at it. Let's pray. Father, we come in humbleness and gratefulness that you have given us your written word. We know that you could have spoken it uh, to us today, but you've written it down through those you have spoken through and to. Thank you uh, that as you speak to us through your word, remind us that You want us to go out from here to speak to others uh, of the truth of your word. So may we do that. May that be one of the end desires that you have for us, even as you uh, unfold your word through your servant. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I know all of us, uh, without a doubt, agree that we live in a very unstable world, even more unstable than it was even last year. And for that reason, we need some stability. We need some things that will help us to anchor this new year. And if we don't have those anchors, we're going to be going this way and that way. We're going to be raising questions in our hearts and minds and doubts as to what is God doing and why is he doing it. As one person said, a new year brings with it the potential of a new set of challenges, both for Christians as well as for the Christian church. And whether they be wars or pandemics, whether they be the economy, natural catastrophes, uh, whatever it may be, uh, we don't know what's going to happen this year. We like stability, we want certainty, we want security. But living in a fallen world... We won't have that. And the sooner we say yes to that, then the greater we understand the possibility that God is the only one who is our security and the word of God 
is the only thing that we can anchor on. As someone else said, the Christian and the church, we need to remember that while much of the world should be appropriately questioning, some things are not up for grab. And everything is being questioned today, from sexuality, from identity, to even the whole issue of, you know, uh, the legitimacy of this or that. Any man-made philosophy, economic system, technology, or scientific assumption is fair game for constructive rethinking. But anything that God has made and has declared to us is not, and his word and his design for humanity aren't open to our disruptive inquiry. So we need to humble ourselves before God and before his word, which is why I think Psalm 90 is very appropriate for us this morning. Psalm 90 gives to us 17 verses. And it's not just the certainties that God gives to us from this psalm, but the constant certainty that needs to be carried out with us throughout this day, throughout every day that we live in this world. And those constant certainties are the things that will guide us, that will direct us, that will take us to the ultimate goal when that time comes, when we see Jesus Christ face to face. Uh, just a quickie, Psalm 90 fits into the whole Psalter. It's introduced, the Psalter is introduced in Psalm 1 and 2, and earlier Pastor Ray read Psalm 1. Who is the blessed person? The blessed person takes the light in the law of God. Who else is the blessed person? The blessed person, as we see in Psalm 2, verse 12, is the one who what? Learns to kiss the sun and learns to re, uh, worship the sun. And who is the sun? Psalm 2 tells us ultimately it's Jesus Christ. So those two things is what the Psalter hangs on. You want to be blessed? Delight in God's word. Delight in the Son of God. And when you put those two together, you understand why the book of Psalms is the Psalms of God taking us through the trials and the hardships and the laments of life, ultimately taking us to praise, worship, and adoration. Psalm 90 opens for us with the words of the oldest author of the psalm and the oldest man who writes that psalm, and that's Moses. It's a prayer of Moses, a man of God. And as he opens this psalm for us, notice how in verse 1 it begins with, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. And notice how it closes in verse 17. Once again, let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us to establish the work of our hands upon us. That's the opening and the closing of Psalm 90. As we continue to walk through this psalm, I like to see four things that will give us not just certainty, but a continuous, constant certainty that God is speaking to us in regards to the 
period and the time that we live in. And the first one is that the God of the Bible is our constant certainty. In verse 1 and 2, we already read that the Lord has been our dwelling place in all generations. And even before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. From beginning to end, in these first two verses, God is always there, and God will always be there, because God is the God of the everlasting. And when we talk about God being everlasting, it isn't just that, like that song says, you do not faint, you don't grow weary, you, we can lean on you because you're safe and secure from all alarms. And so we lean on the everlasting arms of God. It's not that we do it for time, but God is eternal from, for time and eternity. He is a refuge through storms. He is the creator from the beginning in Genesis 1 and 2, and he is also the creator of a new uh, Genesis in Revelation 21 and 22, where there is an old heaven and earth. He will bring about a new heaven and earth and a new Jerusalem. This is the God that the Bible speaks about. This is the God that Moses has in mind, and this is the God that I want to proclaim to you. Not only for a short duration, but forever. And as this God is a constant security, we need to root ourselves in him. We need to ground ourselves in him. And I think it's very appropriate that we begin not just Sunday worship, you know, on a vertical level of seeing God, the greatness of God, the glory of God, but in our daily life as well. I've been going through a book entitled Be Thou My Vision, written by um, the author is uh, Johnny Gibson. And in it, he, he takes the reader, myself, through what it means to start a day of meeting with God in adoration. And then walking through what it means to hear his word and to make confession. And then at the end, to bring up to God our prayers, which incidentally is how God takes us even in Psalm 90. It opens with adoration, but then it closes with requests, asking God. And so as we come before God, let's be assured that he is one constant that we have in the times that we live. The other thing I want to bring out on Psalm 1 and 2 is, notice it says, Lord. But really, the Hebrew text is much more uh, focused. It isn't just Lord, but it's my Lord. And the word Lord there is Adonai, which means my master. He's the one in charge. He's the one in control. He's the one who is my Lord. And when we had that element, that pronoun of my, that personal pronoun of my Lord, it makes a big difference in my walk with Jesus Christ. If all we do go around and says Lord or God, but never personalize it to say my Lord, my God, my Savior, my Master, then there needs to be a connect that needs to be made in our lives. 
And so I want you to be able to see that and draw it out in these first two verses. As the hymn writer once said, the Lord is our rock and in him we hide, a shelter in a time of storm, secure whatever ill betide, a shelter in the time of storm, a shade by day, a defense by night, a shelter in the time of storm, no fears alarm, no fears of fright, a shelter in the time of storm. That's my Lord, my God, my Savior. As we continue to read, notice the transition into the second, verses 3 to 6. And what is that? Is that we constantly experience life slipping away. Look at 3 down to verse 6. You return man to dust. Return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or it is like a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning, and in the morning it flourishes and is renewed, but in the evening it fades and withers. The constant certainty that our lives, humanity, is slipping away slowly toward ultimately death. You see, as humans, we're transient. We're mortal. God's viewpoint is that you and I are temporal, not eternal in this physical life. We're not permanent. That's why he uses terms like a thousand years in God's sight. His perspective is like what? It's like a yesterday and when it's past. Or secondly, it's like a watch in the night. And so a thousand years Yesterday is 12 hours. A watch in the night is nothing more than three hours. That's the viewpoint of God. And until we adopt that viewpoint, that perspective, that view in this world, then we think we can live in this physical life forever. Why do you think there's such an emphasis? And I think it's been exposed through COVID where people are clinging on so hard to this physical life, when we realize that beyond that is something far more important. I think it's natural. It's normal. Nobody wants to die young. Nobody wants to stay out, live live on in this life forever. But the reality is we're so self-protective of it. And, uh, And I'm not coming down on Christians or churches or society on that. It's a natural part of us. But until we get God's perspective that life not only is slipping away, but it is going to slip away, then we'll never live life in light of eternity. Okay? And so Moses brings that out very clearly for us. These verses of 3 to 6 takes us back to Genesis 1 and 2. Because when it says, return man to dust, the term man is the word Adam. And what is Adam? He's nothing more than dust. From dust you're taken, 
and dust you'll return. And I've said that often in funeral services, you know, where the physical body has come from dust put together by God himself, it's going to return back to dust. So what lasts? It's our eternal soul. It's our eternal spirit. Even the oldest man, back in the days of Genesis, in chapter 5, he lived 969 years. And yet, it says in Genesis 5, he died along with everyone else in that chapter, with the exception of one person. And who's that person? Enoch. As he walks with God, he never saw death. This past week, uh, the oldest person in the world died. And her name was Sister Andre. She's a French nun. And she lived 118 years. And we see that Moses, who died at 120 years. We shift from not just time in these verses from 3 to 6, but we also go into that which is what is called matter. Notice it says in verse uh, 5, like grass, they are renewed in the morning, and in the morning it flourishes, is renewed, and in the evening it fades and withers. Oftentimes, as a good husband, and constantly being reminded by my wife, I bring her flowers. You know that song, You Don't Bring Me Flowers Anymore? Well, I don't want to live up to the title of that song. So I bring her flowers, whether it's her birthday, Mother's Day, uh, our anniversary. Okay? And the reason is uh, she likes flowers. But she and I know that over time, the flowers that were put into a pot will ultimately fade away. And so what do I do? As a typical man, I bring her a potted plant. Okay, so it would thrive and survive longer. And uh, sometimes it ends up uh, drying out because of forgetting to water or whatever. And, uh, or I would put it in the ground so it could thrive longer. But in time, it's going to wither away. And so, so Moses used time and matter to bring across this idea of the certainty, the constant certainty that all of us will experience life slipping away, whether it's creature or whether it's creation. And Paul appropriately said in Romans 8, verses 19, we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only creation, but we ourselves, the creatures, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly until we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of even this body. And so, as we see that here, we see that in today's news, don't we? Daily we see shooting, killing, illness, violence, diseases, for that reason... Even believers are not exempt from those events that happen in life because life is slipping away. A couple of weeks ago, one person at church stopped me and says, you go to Nepal? I said, yeah. Did you hear about the domestic plane flight that crashed as it left the capital city 
of Nepal, Kathmandu, and headed toward Pokhara, which is a resort city. Only a 20-minute flight, which I've flown. And as that, plan was, as that plane was coming in for its landing, it began to tilt, and before you know it, it, it crashed. All 57 people died in that plane, and they're still searching for the cause of it. Well, three days ago, I talked to uh, one of our in-country pastors, and he told me that he was up in Pokhara for the memorial service for three of the people on that plane. One was a Christian leader of a church, and the other two were members. And so, as he was sharing with me, I saw pictures of the people who were gathered there in that uh, celebration of life, in that burial of those three people, as each of them left behind a wife and a family. I can't explain the reasons why. Only God knows. But I do want to say that whether through plane crash, through illness, through other ways in which our life ends, we are slipping away. And who knows? By the end of the year, some of you will slip away as well. We don't know what the future is. Now, maybe that sparked something in your mind. Maybe you're asking, why does anyone's life slip away, let alone slip away in a tragic manner? And I think the answer is given for us in the next section in verses 7 to 11. And what is that? That the constant certainty that sin brings sorrow, suffering, and death. Putting it another way, sorrow, suffering, sickness, death is brought about by sin. And once again, that's a foundational truth. And I know you believe that, but sometimes we forget that sin wrecks havoc in our society. Sin is the cause for people committing sin. And we need to pray for our government when they try to uh, remedy you know, the violence of guns being used. But you and I know that it is not the instrument It's only an instrument that takes the life of a person. It's the heart of human beings. Because at that heart is sin. And that's what causes sorrow, suffering, and death. These two consonants, the second and third, are hand and glove. They work together side by side. And that's why we read these words starting in verse 7. We... For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. We have set iniquities before you and our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days passed away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. And the years of our life could be 70, maybe even by reason of strength, 80 Yet their span is but toil and trouble, and they are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath 
according to the fear of you. You know, when I read those words, uh, it may sound like it's harsh. It may sound like it's in your face. It may sound like, you know, there's no uh, sensitivity. But you have to understand the context of Psalm 90, especially these verses. Moses, who authored Psalm 90, uh, lived at a time when he was used by God to lead the people of Israel out of the bondage that was in Egypt under the strong arm of Pharaoh. And as he led them out, it was, it, it was miraculous. It was victorious. It was a evidence of the power of the Almighty God contrast to all the gods of Egypt. And as Moses led them out, okay, crossing through the Red Sea and getting on the other side, you know, obviously God's hand was gracious, it was good, it was blessing them. Okay? The Hollywood production remembers it in such a way that we have Charles Heston and the Ten Commandments and then the Prince of Egypt. But have you ever noticed that that's where they leave it at, God's goodness and grace upon the people of Israel. It doesn't take us further. It doesn't take us to the time when on that journey, a 40-year journey, what happened? The people of God began to quarrel. They began to be disobedient and rebellious. They began to act in a sinful way. And with all of that, At the end of that journey, that whole generation, apart from two people, okay, Caleb and Joshua, didn't enter into the promised land. They all died. Think of it as a pastor or even as a church. Every day, every day, there's a service. There's a memorial. There's somebody to bury with that population of people. And think of Moses and how he carried that burden on his heart. Here is another person who, who's experienced the anger and the wrath of God as they all die in that wilderness. That's the point of Psalm 90, okay? to see and to feel that. It's interesting that the word anger and wrath Though it may sound similar, it's really different. It's kind of like building up palm. The anger of God leads to the wrath of God. And the wrath of God is displayed because of his anger. Over what? Over sin that's been committed. That word anger is used of a horse, oftentimes, where the horse's nose would snort, okay, when it's upset or disturbed. If you ever you've gone on a horseback ride and you pull the horse back and the horse doesn't like it, it would, you know, snort out of his nose. That's the picture that we're getting here, okay? And it's understandable that we should snort at the anger of what death, illness, hospice, funerals, Accidents, incidents, drowning and killing. As life slips away and we see death happening. And that's the same reaction that Jesus had too. 
when he went to the tomb of Lazarus in John 11, and uh, when Martha came to him and said, you know, behold, if you would have been here, you know, my brother would not have died. And what did Jesus do? He grieved. His heart poured out for the pain and the sorrow that Martha and Mary was experiencing concerning Lazarus. But when Jesus was brought to the tomb, it says again, Jesus grieved. It's two different words. The first grief is a grief of sorrow and pain that touches anybody emotionally. The second grief is a grief of anger. He was upset. What was he upset over? That death does this. It takes people's life away. And Jesus understood that the whole of the story of the Bible is that in Genesis 1 and 2, you have a perfect place with a perfect environment, with a perfect setting of a couple. And yet in Genesis 3, sin has come in. And that has resulted in sorrow and sickness and death. But we look forward to Revelation 21 and 22, where God will bring about a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem. And what does it say in uh, Revelation 21? There's going to be no more sorrow, no more pain, no more crying, no more death. And when we have that big picture, and we see here in uh, Psalm 90, these words, we could see that we are in the middle of all of that, and one day we will be delivered from all of that if we know and understand the work of Jesus Christ in our lives. And so, why does life slip away? Because sin brings it. And until we have that understanding, then the next section won't make sense. Now, as we begin to step into that next section, it's a transition, it's a turn. Because verse 12 to the rest of the, the, the psalm leads us upward. It starts by saying, so teach us to number our days. And as we ask God to teach us to number our days, that we may, some translation has it, get a heart of wisdom. I think it's a twofold. It's not only getting a heart of wisdom, of understanding, but it's also offering up to God that heart of wisdom, okay? So that the intended response from the first 11 verses leads us to say this prayer, Lord, teach me to number my days while I still have life on this earth. I had an Old Testament professor, a man who was not just only a scholar, but a man who was also a shepherd. And he said to us when he spoke from Psalm 90, I make it a practice every day to count down the days, the weeks, the the months, and the years that I still have in this world. And maybe, maybe Moses didn't have that in mind to teach us to number each day, each week, each month, each year. But I think it's a good way of living it out. Okay. 
If I were to ask you right now, how many of you are in your 90s in this audience? Who would raise up their hands? How about 80s? I know it may be reviewing your age. Well, that's pretty good. 70s? Okay. Some of you are in your 70s. I'm in my 70s. My wife is in her 70s. Okay. And then so forth on down the line. How many more years do we have? Okay. And that's why it's so important that whether we are in this season of life, that we say, God, teach me to number my days so I may live it out in a way that continues to bring you honor and glory. Now, I know most of you here say, hey, I'm not that old. I'm down in this age. I'm in my teens, my 20s, my 30s, maybe 40s or 50s. But the truth is still there. God says, teach us to number whatever amount of time I have in life. God brought about that to me uh, uh, a number of years ago when I had two uh, heart procedures. One in my late 40s and then another one in my early 50s. The early 41 was a simple, an angioplasty. Uh, the early 50 was an open heart surgery. And some of you know that, but others you, of you may not. And what does a doctor tell you after you go through that heart procedure? You need to diet, you need to exercise, you need to take your meds. That's what a doctor will say. But I think Moses, as a spiritual uh, leader, a mentor, what does he say to us? You may diet all you want. You may exercise all you want. You may take medication all you want. But if that's the end of what you see in life, the physical, then you've missed something of what it means to teach us to number our days. He's talking about spiritually looking at your life, okay? So that you look at it in such a way that uh, you have eternity in perspective. That's why after my second surgery in, the, uh, in my early 50s, God began to work in my life. And then about a few years later, in, I... Uh, felt the working of God in my life to move me out of pastoring a local church and moving into serving pastors in churches in the two-thirds world country. Now, that's me. That's us. That may not be for you, but we all need a wake-up call. We need to all be shaken. Yes, in light of the current events that we see, that's a great shake, in light of the personal experiences that we may have in going to funerals and, you know, attending uh, and caring for someone who is in hospice or who may have Alzheimer or dementia. And both Bev and I have experienced all of that. Okay, those are good wake-up calls to remind us life slips away because the reality of sin. And yet, verse 12, help me to count the days that I do have. And what does he do? 
he goes on and says in verses 13 to 17 that there is God shining his hope upon us. I've, I've chosen the words hope intentionally because embedded in hope are all the things that we find from verses 12 to 17. And what are they? Follow with me. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity. Another translation is have mercy. Show your mercy on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen evil. And the evil he's talking about here is most likely the evil in regards to the people of Israel. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Now, quickly in this fifth section, I call it God will shine his hope upon his chosen covenant people. And what's that hope? It's evident through joy, rejoicing, satisfaction, and gladness. Is it any wonder Peter says that we are born again to a living hope through the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ? God shines his mercy, his steadfast love. He gives favor to you and I. Did you notice that shift? The tone of it is quite different from the previous passages that we have just read. And notice it's also all in the form of a request. He is requesting God to turn from his anger and wrath. He's requesting God to show pity and favor and mercy upon his people. And that ray of hope in the midst of the darkness that we see in this world is what we need, that I need, in a new year, even with January not, you know, being completed. January has been a very hard month in 2023. Whether it's the killings that have taken place in Monterey Park or Half Moon Bay, whether it's the death of a 29-year-old in Memphis, Tennessee, and everybody has their perspective in light of the video going viral, or whether it was a funeral that my wife attended yesterday, or whether a funeral that we will be attending next Thursday, or whether officiating two funerals two weeks ago, and then Bev attending another funeral before that of a friend. You know, we need hope in the midst of seeming hopelessness. We need it here because when we go out from here, what do we tell people? We need to show them and tell them that there's hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. I love the words of this song because it reflects a bit of what I'm saying. Do you feel that the world is broken? I do. And I hope you do. Do you feel that the shadows deepen? Do you know that all the dark won't 
stop the light from getting through? Do you wish that you could see it all made new? Is all creation groaning? It is. Is a new creation coming? For sure it is. Is the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst? It is. Is it good that we remind ourselves of this? And that's what I'm trying to do. Not just only remind us of this, but that you would have a takeaway as you leave this place. And what are the takeaways? Verse 12. Teach us, instruct us to make the most use of our time. And that's where wisdom comes in. Because I don't know how. And I need the wisdom of God. And as I acquire that wisdom from God, okay, my heart grows in that wisdom. And what do I do? I turn around and offer it up to God. That's the one takeaway. The second takeaway is found for us in verse 17. God establish the work of our hands. Establish the work of our hands. Mentioned two times. That word establishes, make what I do last. Okay. Instead of just passing away, make it lasting. And how do I see the work that I do last? By seeing God transform that work. So that whatever job you have, work, there's a purpose behind it. Whatever uh, occupation you're in, God will bring a purpose behind it. Uh, Whatever the finances that God has blessed you, that money does matter, that you would use it for God's purpose and for his kingdom cause. And so whether you are retired, whether you're young raising a family, whether you're in school or seeking a job or transitioning, It is the satisfaction with a constant certainty that God will take the work that is done and bring about something that will last forever. It was Jesus who said, you know, it's your kingdom to come and your will be done. And that's a prayer that's part of the disciples' prayer. That we pray, our Father, yes, you are in heaven. Holy is your name. Okay, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And if you can leave with that, with that sense of making that prayer and having a satisfaction in this holy God, then you're going to make a different impact, not only on your life, but on your family and your community, as well as in your workplace. And all of this is only possible and we have an understanding that Jesus Christ, through the gospel of the good news, is the one who will not let our life slip away, but will bring meaning and purpose to it. Because it is Christ who took the anger of God, as well as the wrath of God, on the cross when he died there for your sins and my sins. And as he hung there, he cried out, It's finished. There's nothing anybody can do to add to what I've done. And in light of what he'd done, when he cried out, it is finished, there's only one thing 
that you do, which is respond to the grace and the mercy of God through repentance of your sin and embracing the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you've never done that before, I'm sure the leadership of this church and the people of the church would be more than glad to unfold that good news of the gospel to you. I close with this. Last December, there was an Oscar nomination of a, of a movie that was a sleeper, coming late. The title of the movie is called Living. It is set in 1950 in London, England, where Mr. Williams lived and worked. He went to see the doctor for examination. And then a few weeks later, the doctor called him in and said, you've been diagnosed with cancer, and you only have about six months to live. So Mr. William goes back, and he begins to look at his life. And he ran into a young woman named Miss Harris, who formerly worked in the same department that he worked in. It's not a romantic relationship, friendship. Instead, he's attracted to her because she has vitality. She has zest. She has zeal. Okay? And Mr. William thanks this young woman for helping, it, helping him to see that in his life because he realized that personal satisfaction rather than finding one's purpose in life to helping others is the meaning of life. He closes by, the the movie closes with this. I wonder if you ever stop on the way home and watch the children play. And when the time comes, their mother calls to them to come. It's time to go. Okay. It's far better to see that than to see a child, which he saw sitting at another part of the park, all by himself. Okay. Not taking part in what the children were doing. That child was merely waiting for the mother to call him to come, okay? And I realized that I'm ending up like that child. How so? Sitting in the corner, not being involved with other people, enjoying the vitality and the, light and the vitality of life. And for that reason, he says, life is a gift. Death is our enemy, and for that reason, we need to remind ourselves that your mortality is there and challenge us to live a life that blesses others. I think that's a great way to end his life, but I think a better way to end our lives, brothers and sisters, is to look at Jesus Christ, who said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. Because it's not just living a life for personal purpose and meaning, but living a life after the purpose and meaning of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I trust that we will do that in the days that we are living when it is very uncertain, very unstable. Follow with me in prayer. Father, we know that this psalm and even this message 
seemingly places a real uh, sense of evaluation in our lives. And it's good to do that. But more than that, we thank you for how the psalm ends. It ends with hope. It ends with joy. It ends with satisfaction. It ends with realizing that you will bring lasting impact in the work that you have called us, not only to do, but also to be. And for that reason, I just pray that you would cause our brothers and sisters here to take away from here a desire to be taught to count our days so that we may gain that heart of wisdom, but also offer it up to you as an act of our worship. If there's any here who know not Christ, you speak to that person's heart. As they have been drawn here to worship, we pray that ultimately they will come to see and worship the true and living and loving God through the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for that in his name.